You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsors, Facebook Design and Abstract. Facebook Design is a proud sponsor of Revision Path. If you want to learn more about how the Facebook Design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, then please visit Facebook.design. This episode is also brought to you by Abstract, design workflow management for modern design teams. Spend less time searching for design files and tracking down feedback, and spend more time focusing on innovation and collaboration. Like Glitch but for designers, Abstract is your team's version-controlled source of truth for design work. With Abstract, you can version sketch design files, present work, request reviews, collect feedback, and give developers direct access to all specs all from one place. Sign your team up for a free 14-day trial today by heading over to www.abstract.com. Now for this week's interview, I'm talking with Jennifer White Johnson, Assistant Professor of Visual Communications at Bowie State University. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Jennifer White Johnson, and I'm a multidisciplinary artist, so photography, graphic design, and then I'm also um, a professor of visual communications and digital media art at Bowie State University. So I know that you wear a lot of hats, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but let's let's start off talking about your work as an art and design educator. Uh, you mentioned being a professor of visual uh, communications and, and art at Bowie State. What uh, courses do you teach? So uh, I teach all across the spectrum of foundation art and then also senior thesis and exit portfolios. Um, So it's really great. Like I get a chance to dabble in intro to like digital art um, and what that means for non-majors and then also students that are just getting into like art making and what that means for them. And, you know, so if if they're painters or illustrators, but they want to get into like a digital kind of experience, I help them navigate through like the tools and like the different experiences that they want to be able to learn. And then uh, also, you know, like traditional like intro to like graphic design courses and getting them excited about typography and like font design and then also getting for them to understand design history and what that looks like as an HBCU student and, you know, kind of creating artwork that they often don't get a chance to see or that they maybe want to like change like the narrative a little bit and then also senior thesis so again getting and not all undergraduate programs have students like create an actual you know like senior thesis capstone and so it's really great that they the students it's it's a group show but they still get a chance to kind of create like this really amazing like legacy that they want to leave behind and they get a chance to kind of pick any topic that kind of, you know, relates to their concentration, whether it's fashion design or advertising, uh, animation, motion graphics. And so it's great. Like, I love that I get a chance to meet 
so many different students and teach on so many different levels because it's a very interdisciplinary program. It also sounds like because you're teaching such a wide spectrum of classes, you almost end up sort of being a student's guide from starting out as a freshman all the way up until they graduate. Like you get to see them really evolve as a designer. Yeah, that's like one of my favorite things. I think now, because I've been teaching there since 2011. And so I think that I've seen maybe like three or four classes from freshman year all the way to senior year. And it's just so amazing. And like you said, just seeing them develop, seeing them evolve, Mm -hmm. and then seeing them kind of pick up um, all different types of like design and art styles that they want to be able to, you know, like incorporate into what they do. And these kids are like, so dope. They're amazing. They're like, they're, 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 they're their own little mini like design firms, like in their own right. And I feel like a lot of people don't really get a chance to realize, or maybe they, sometimes they get harped on cause they're like, oh, well, they, like, can't you just focus on just doing this and and kind of, you know, like, solidify your place in this particular type of of, of work? But it's like the students know that they want to do, they want to be photographers, they want to be designers, they want to create their own brands. And it's oh, nice. just like, I can't say no to that. I have to just kind of let them be. I have to let them create because that's one thing that we kind of push and strive for is them getting out there and collaborating and not working in a silo. So I love that I get a chance to kind of see a lot of little collectives forming within the school and then also outside of the school. And I can't, I can't push that enough. Like, and I'm so happy when they kind of take it upon themselves to, to do that. So. No, that's, that's really good. It's, It's funny you mentioned that because, uh, I was just talking with someone recently. I think they're like a they're like a film student probably at Georgia State here in Atlanta and I think how did we connect? You know how we connected? He was one of my Lyft uh drivers one time. Nice. <laughs> and I remember he was talking about being a designer and I gave him my information and said, reach out to me. So we've kind of been keeping in touch. And he's been talking about really trying to get out there and like find a job. He's in school right now. I think he's maybe a junior or so. He's like, I really need to find a job and I'm trying to find a job. And I'm trying to stress upon him. Like you need to like build a a website or, or get a brand or something or not get a brand, but like build your brand up. So when you're ready to graduate, you actually have work that can show for it. And it's so interesting how, I think people can be so focused on the end results that they don't realize kind of everything else that can go into it, which can help make you successful past getting just that end result. Like say you get that job, that's not the end. Once you get the job, like what about the next job? Or what if you get tired of this job and you want to do something different? Like you have to think about that as you're kind of coming up. I think especially now as a student, because there's so many ways to be a part of this industry that don't involve going to school. So if you, you know, and this is not to, you know, sort of harp on education, but, you know, you don't necessarily have to even go that route to be a designer. So it's, exactly. it's an interesting time right now. Yeah. And so that's why I'm always really excited that, and and like you were saying, the students, they become like these mini little, like, you know, entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And, and we stress that a lot, like at Bowie. And it's just, you know, what are the, how are you building those relationships? What are you doing? What connections are you making? Where are you going? Where are you showing up? What, 
you know, you know, folks, are you like aligning yourselves with what collectives are you aligning yourselves with? And it's awesome, you know, just like being like in DC and, you know, and, you know, close to Baltimore and being able to kind of, there's enough stuff happening that we push the students to go to and to be a part of that they really don't have an excuse to just to not like want to get out there and want to share and want to, you know, propel like their, their art forms forward. And so, and I, and I think one of the key things is just getting, you know, making sure that they stay motivated and we have to work so hard to just put people in their path, make sure that those paths are also accessible so that they feel like, oh, these paths are like a reflection of me. Like I can see myself being a part of like this world. And it's not like, oh, my professor's just trying to, you know, like force me to make these connections or these networks, but it's like, no, like this is how this particular, you know, AIGA chapter can like really, you know, like benefit me because they want to mentor me. They want to, you know, continue to kind of like see me through and collaborate with me. And so it's been amazing. And I think that's what makes educating at an HBCU so fun is that, you know, people want to be able to continue to provide accessible opportunities for students of color. They see how necessary it is and how important it is. And it's just really about the responsibility is huge. You know, the work is huge because Mm -hmm. I have to continue making those, those waves and setting those paths for the students, but I need a lot of help. I need a lot of help from the outside community, you know, collectives to to continue to kind of like create those paths. And I mean, and, and it's, it's happening. So, yeah. Now, to that end, having been there since 2011, how have you seen the university kind of change with respect to the world around us? Because a lot has transpired since then. Yeah, I mean, a lot has transpired. And it's one of those things where, uh, I mean, it's 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 not easy, you know, because some HBCUs are are, you know, conservative. Some of them are a little more liberal and some of them are like, well, as an HBCU, like we have the expectations that we have to kind of, you know, like dot all our I's and cross all our T's to make sure that, you know, the workforce, it's like this workforce mentality. And it's like, we need to get them ready to, you know, to, to kind of, you know, they have to, to be like this standardized image of like what this, this black person is going to do as they're navigating, you know, outside of the university. And, we need to make sure that they're kind of, you know, like this, I don't want to say like this, this cookie cutter kind of, you know, um, person, but sometimes that mentality, like, I feel like that type of mentality kind of takes over. Whereas it's like, okay, well, how is this, this particular student really going to be like an innovator? And what are they doing to kind of change like the world around them? And I feel like that's a conversation that, you know, really isn't going to start with just, you know, uh, um, an art and design program. It has to work across disciplines. And so one of the things that I've really enjoyed is being able to, you know, cross-pollinate and cross-collaborate with different, like, departments and different professors on campus. And they give us the opportunity to not focus on, you know, like, this workforce mentality, but it's like, okay, so how can you take like science and math 
and art and allow for the students to kind of see how they all collide and how we can use all of these different disciplines to create a really innovative narrative, you Mm -hmm. know? So it's like one project that I often give to the students is if you were to pick a place on campus that you would want to reimagine or that you would want to like completely revamp so that it is an expression of your voice and of how you see the world like what would that space look like? How would you even design a facade or like a front facade or a mural for that space? You know, how would you even design like the interiors of that space? Like what would that look like? And it freaks them out. Cause they're like, I've never been asked that question before. Like, so you're really giving me the opportunity. And this is like, these are like freshmen. It's like, yeah, like I don't wait until junior, senior year. It's like, let's have this conversation now. Like you're, you're a new student. You're a new freshman how do you want for your school to impact like your soul like as you're walking up and down these legendary like pathways on this campus because it's because Bowie's the oldest hbcu in, in maryland um 1865 and so we take a lot of pride in that you know uh and the students forget they're like you're walking like yeah. where your ancestors were you know yeah it's it's a trip. I mean, I, I went to Morehouse here in Atlanta, and I know what you mean about there being just different kind of HBCUs because Morehouse is so strictly conservative. And it when I first got there, like it it did a number on me because I was not expecting it to be that uh, different, I guess, from like how I grew up and the world that I knew and, and everything like that. I mean, I don't know if they've changed this rule by now, but like when I went there, they had like strict codes on what your haircut needed to be. And you had to wear a suit once a week and all the different sorts of like things that they were doing to kind of mold you into this representative Morehouse man kind of, Oh, I, I don't get me started, but, <laughs> but uh, now, I mean, the school itself. And the reason I asked this question uh, about how the school has changed is because even with like like Morehouse being the institution that it is, it has changed over the years as many things have happened out in the world, just in terms of finances, in terms of politics, in terms of even, you know, things like sexual orientation and gender. There's been a lot of discussions sort of within the college about what that means for students and what that means for the the image. I'm using air quotes here, but the image of a Morehouse man and what that means. And so I know that does invariably trickle down to curriculum as well. Granted, Morehouse isn't a school that has a design department or an art department. Uh, generally, if you want to major in it, you declare your major and then you take all your classes at Spelman or at, or at Clark Atlanta. And so you, you certainly have the course load, but you certainly don't get that same kind of campus experience. And I think even with knowing the history of what the school is about I can see how, yeah, coming in as a freshman, you don't even know. You're just glad to be not at home, you know, getting, you know, with rules from your parents or whomever, and you're out on your own. But it's it's great that you've got that uh, sort of establishment to let them know that this is this is like a historic space, like treat it as such and know what you are contributing to it just by being here. Yeah, yeah. And, and I feel like students, you know, I mean, the way that it continues to shift is just you know, making sure that we just create opportunities for students. And so right now it's, you know, we have like a really great um, entrepreneurship academy where the students are, they're encouraged to pitch concepts and pitch ideas. I think every spring semester and 
they're allowed to 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 continue kind of say, okay, well, how do I pitch this concept? How do I get the support? You know, what are some things that the campus needs or students need that are very practical to what kind of business plan that I can create? Um, and we give them the opportunity to be able to to kind of showcase those concepts and ideas. And, you know, they're super interdisciplinary. And then also we have a lot of pockets of like all different types of students. So I like that Bowie isn't, I mean, there is like this kind of, like you were saying, the Morehouse man. So there is this, well, what is like your typical HBCU student look like? And I like that at Bowie, there's not really just one definition of that. It's, you know, we have a lot of really fun, interesting students who are, who have their own, you know, interests and their own personalities. And so we have a lot of fun little pockets of like, you've got like the black nerds (laughs) and those are like my babies and, you know, watching, you know, like seeing them, you know, like stand on them, you know, like pushing them, making sure that they like sign up for these scholarships and making sure that, that, it's like, okay, you're doodling, but like, where are you sharing this? Like, mm-hmm. are you out there? Are you, are you, are you getting it out there? Are you sharing? Are you building up like a really cool network? And it's, and it's been fun watching them. Yeah. Like we're going to like table at awesome con, or we're going to get like a table that, you know, this year we're going to like, you know, make our own costumes and, you know, for like this particular conference. And it's just like watching and it, and it's cool because we try to make buoy like a cool central hub for that so that they feel like encouraged and that they feel that they get the support that they need. And so, so we've had them like present and table at like different cons and that's like been like really exciting to watch and we don't have to push them. Like they want to do that, you know? And then if anything, all we need to do is just make sure that we just, you know, provide like the support that they need and that we, that we're like their biggest fans and that, we try to get as many artistic representations in the classroom to say, Hey, like, this is how you can be black or this is how you can be a woman. And this is how you can like create. And this is like the opportunities. And so there's like an HBCU and LA internship program where they allow for students to shadow different producers and to be a part of different sets and, um, and to kind of contribute their own artistic voices into like a variety of different, um, you know, like platforms. And it's, Mm. so it's really important that we have the right, like folks walking through Bowie that really care about like making sure that students of color are out there getting those getting the opportunities and in a few weeks we have like the hbcu con coming up and you know we're going to be talking about like you know the black person's role in you know like cosplay in like you know what what opportunities can you as a black student what can you get and what kind of platforms are we going to encourage you to kind of push for um within like that whole blurred space and and what what that looks like so we we try to handle that we we try to make sure that that they that they're supported and then also you know we have like our theater majors and we have like our fashion design majors that we kind of you know like we had ruth carter um come out and do like a really amazing talk like last year Emery Douglas came um, two years ago, the same year that 
we took some students to the um, 2017 Black and Design Conference. And so that was like a really like amazing year. And so, you know, just making sure that they see, they see themselves reflected and not just like contemporary designers, but it's like, no, these are people who have been doing this for like four decades and that who have worked hard to pave the way for you, you know? And so when you as like a black student, when you're just living in the present and you're like, well, I don't see any designers or I don't see any people like, it's like, no, they're there. Like you, you know, you just haven't been, been looking or, or you're, you're stuck in your bubble and make sure you do the research and to see like who paved the way, who has been out there kind of making ways for, for decades that have, you know, that want to advocate for you. What do you learn from your students? Like, what do they teach you? (laughs) Um, They teach me, like, they teach me a lot. They teach me that, oh, man, just to to continue to stay humble, to stay connected. And like I said, like, I get inspired by watching the collectives that they're a part of, especially, like, there's, like, the D.C. street meet where – there's like a huge hub of like photographers that get together every Saturday and they usually meet up at union station in DC. And it's like, and it it used to be a very small group and now it's over like 200 folks from all, you know, like ranges of like, you know, photo skills, you have like your beginners and then you have like your, your photo vets who've been out there and they just meet and they, they chill, they get together they they shoot each other they they teach each other tips they will go in different spots and just you know like learn like different um like photo based kind of like fun like experiments from each other and they're like professor like are you coming to DC street me this weekend or like you know <laughs> <laughs> you're like uh how come you how come you're not there like you know what i mean it's yeah. just and it's cool because those were like these collectives that weren't necessarily around when I was an undergrad or they weren't as huge, you know, because, you know, like social media wasn't necessarily this like hub of like, man, where it's like this whole like, you know, world, this, this dynamic where people can just assemble. And so I really love watching the students get really excited about, you know, and a lot of it is like off campus kind of activities, <laughs> which is cool because it's like, yeah, I don't want you to just be at buoy every day. Like I want you to leave and I want you to like have fun and explore and show me something different or show me something new that, that you're learning that you want for me to teach the class or that you think would, would be worth like investigating. And so my work, my classes are, are workshops they're not like, I hate lecturing and I hate being like, well, this is, you know, this particular artist. And then 1965 and, you know, and this is like, these are the terms. It's so hard for me to teach that way because um, oftentimes like I'll just give fun little projects where it's just like, okay, so like animated gifts or, you know, or let's talk about like how you can use this really cool, like augmented reality app and incorporate like, and, insane messaging in it to kind of, you know, like tell like a different kind of narrative. And so I, sometimes they get frustrated because they're like, well, you're not giving me like enough prompts. And it's like, we'll pick a topic that's like plaguing you as a person or plaguing your community and see where you can just kind of take that, 
like where where you can take all of those internal narratives and how you can use art and design to empower and it gets on some people's nerves and some people like don't understand why I'm doing it but it's just learning from the students means that like I have to learn to be more like vulnerable and I have to learn to be a little bit more um open with like the way that I teach and how I teach and and it shifts every sem like I can't rarely do I assign the same projects if they're super popular and if they create and if the students continue to create good work and it's like great for their portfolios yes um I will stick with like certain projects but I change it up based on like what's happening in the world based on you know what I feel like they need to continue to kind of incorporate into their own portfolios so yeah I just I learned I learned to stay challenged and I learned to stay you know, like on top of it. Yeah. And now before Bowie State, and, and I promise we'll move on past, past the teaching, but uh, <laughs> before Bowie State, you also taught at Micah, Maryland Institute uh, College of Art. How was that experience versus kind of what your teaching is now at Bowie State? Um, so I, when I was at Micah, I was teaching like a basic intro to um, digital art and then I went back to teach like a, a fun like photo class that was catered towards like graphic designers. And, you know, it's really one of those things where they're always going to be open to who you are as a person and they love seeing like your work. So I, mm -hmm. I enjoyed sharing like my own personal work. Like, you know, I wish that I had like at the time I didn't have, I didn't really share enough of it like, like I could have. And that's something that I'm learning to do more is to say, Hey, like, this is what, this is what I'm doing. And this is how like, it kind of like empowers like what I do. And so it's hard for me to stick to the script and usually like art schools, you can kind of get away with like not sticking to like a specific script. And as long as the students feel that they can can kind of incorporate like those concepts and those ideas into like you know their own work that's cool but if they feel like disconnected from like specific topics or if they feel like well I don't want to talk about myself or mm -hmm. and I'm a very like talk about yourself like I want to hear like your own personal narrative I want you to like you know put your yourselves on the line you know and and sometimes students aren't always necessarily like comfortable or they're not ready or they don't feel that it's like super relevant. So it's just finding the line of, well, how is this going to get me a job? How How is this going to, you know, like add to like my work? And so for me, it's just pushing them to just think like in an abstract way. Um, but it's it's always going to be difficult, you know. And because, like, I don't necessarily teach design or photography in a very traditional way, it's making sure that the students kind of get it. But I'm, but I'm crazy. Like, I, I spend a lot of time getting them out of the classroom and putting them into different spaces that they're like, "What am I doing here? <laughs> like, I'm in a basement right now, like, with all these musicians shooting them, <laughs> you know?" Because I'm like, "All right, like." this is a school in Baltimore. I want y'all to know Baltimore, you know, I want you guys to, to get out and to like feel and to like be open to the Baltimore voices that you don't really often get a chance to see. So what would it look like if I were to put you in a room with a whole bunch of musicians that you've never met 
and it's a it's a really tight space, but you have to photograph them singing or you have to photograph them, you know, like arguing or or talking a little bit about, you know, like the riots that that happened in Baltimore, like the uprising, you know, like what would that look like? How would you kind of illustrate that through photography? So it's like completely switching up the dynamic of like what they expected. Um, and so, but I always have to be prepared that, you know, it's like students may not always get it or they may not even understand why I'm asking them. And, and it's like, you're not always going to understand why you just have to roll with the punches and see what putting yourself in a different kind of experience will do to you as a person and what it will, it will do to you as an artist. Um, but there's no way to like prepare them for that. So I'm not necessarily sure if they like, some of them were feeling it. Some of them weren't, you know, so it's like, <laughs> and that was like on the micro level, it's just continuing to just, I don't know. That's like a, a very, that's like a hard topic because, you know, I don't necessarily say, well, and it's because like I, I went to Micah, so it's like I understand the whole dynamic. So I didn't necessarily feel like I had to change like my whole style of teaching. I just stayed myself. And any kind of project that I'm going to give to an HBC, HBCU student, I'm going to give it to like, you know, a whole bunch of other kids who aren't of color, you know, or maybe you know, there's like a few, there were, there, I didn't have any black students in, in, in my class. I'll tell you that, but you know, they, you know, maybe they just weren't taking that particular photo class that, that semester. Certain schools, you just need more time to be able to just grow in that particular institution, grow with the students, maybe grow with the curriculum, having an opportunity to kind of like set your own kind of curriculum and maybe teach specific kind of classes that are geared towards something very like specific um that's where you will get more and oppor more opportunity to maybe shine a little bit but that's that's a much larger yeah i got you so let's kind of switch gears here for a little bit because i'm curious to kind of know where your spark for all of this really began like was was art and design a big part of your childhood growing up yeah, um, my both of my parents, like my dad was like a low key painter and my mom was like a crafter. And so she would make me like these little mini booklets and zines. And I think that's why I love zines so much, because she would make me these little like, how are you? I love you. And I would like open up my door and I would see this little envelope at the bottom of my door and it would be like just a little tiny little message and I didn't realize that those were like little mini zines at the time, but it's like, I have like a whole like bag full of them, um, of like these little like microscopic booklets and looking back at those little vignettes. Now I realize that my parents were like super low key. They were never like, this is who I am. You have to love me and then like see me as and embrace me as this artist because, you know, they had like these these government jobs where they kind of grinded it out and did the whole nine to five thing and supported their family. But they had like these fun little like artistic things that they would do that like I never really saw as art. I just saw that as like this is what my parents do and these are the ways that they express their joy and their happiness as people. And so 
I always really, you know, when I think about like what were some of my first exposures to like art making, it was just, well, that's just like what, what my mom and dad do all the time. These are just the little fun things that they, that they use to like express like their love. Um, <laughs> and they were both, so artistically that's what they did. And then they were both Sunday school teachers. And so from an early age, I began to see their whole definition of service and serving the people and being like these, you know, mentors for folks in the community within like our church. And so I, I got a chance to just watch them serve people. It was never about like them. It was always about other people, but I never felt like the service that they did for other people, like outweighed the love that they had for like myself and like my brother and my sister. So that's why like service and collaborating and community has never been an issue for me because I've always seen how it can bring so much power and how community and assembling can just be a very powerful like thing when you well and when you do it right. And so, you know, as I, and I, I grew up like as a performer, like I would sing at church and I would like sing in school. And so photography and design was something that I picked up, you know, when I was just looking for like another creative expression and and, and looking for like another outlet. Um, and you know, you, like, and then also, you know, just like growing up as like a young black Puerto Rican kid, you're like, well, am I actually really going to be on Broadway? Mm, I don't know. So, of course, like my parents were like, well, we love you, but there needs to be a backup plan. Like, what's your backup plan going to be? You know, like, you know, <laughs> what's your fall? Like, you know, what what's what's going to be like your fallback if just in case like this performing thing and this recording you know like contract and all this stuff doesn't necessarily work like and then I was like well you know I love to write and I loved so I want to be like an English major and I was thinking that writing was going to be something that I would do and and that performing is something that I would just kind of do like as a ministry you know to like bless people you know and then eventually you know I picked up a camera and that was it like my photography teacher and like my amazing cohort of like photo buddies, you know, and that, and, and I kind of found them like after nine 11 and, you know, post nine 11, like, you know, I was 21 and literally I was like in this really weird place where I was like, all right, like, how am I going to move forward? You know, what, what am I really like, what is the world saying to me right now that, that I need to do that I have to just change? You know, because like we can't because it was really hard. It was a really hard time in the world, period. Like everyone was like, what are like, what do we do? Like, how are we supposed to feel? How are we supposed to to move on? And especially, you know, like living in, you know, close to D.C., the Pentagon, like we were really impacted by all of that. And like the whole dynamic and the shift of of the community, it was it, it was it was scary. You know, like and both my parents were working in DC at the time. And, you know, I was like an intern, I was doing an internship for like this, this really interesting, like educational company. And I was like all over the place. And, you know, 
<laughs> the world stopped. It was it was really scary. And and you're 21 and you're kind of like you're not super young but then you're not super old either and you're trying to like navigate through as an artist and you're trying to find your way and then picking up a camera is I don't know like it just it solved so many things for me and then but choosing not to pick up a camera and just kind of stay in my own little world either like I picked it up but like I had like this amazing group of friends like this one girl who's Egyptian, another, you know, Caucasian chick, another half Filipino, half black chick. And we were just like a thing. Like we, we were like a unit and we had an amazing photography teacher and that was it. And like, I found my posse and I was like, man, like this is crazy. And then that was it. That was it. That was just, so I think finding like my love for a different kind of art form, but then doing it along with other like-minded individuals, women of, of color, it was just really empowering. And I think that that's all I needed, you know, and as a young person, you know, do you, you know, in a post 9-11 world, like whatever that means to certain people, it's like, how do you kind of like find like your way? Who's your posse? How are you going to move forward? And being able to kind of like, you know, align all of those like, especially once you kind of like pop into like a new experience, you know, sometimes you feel like, oh, like I'm, I'm all alone. I'm doing this all by myself. But if you have a posse, then, then you're like, I feel like I can really do this because like, I'm not alone. And I think that was like a really big part of, of like my whole existence. Um, (laughs) And that was, that was before everything, like before, like, you know, before grad school, before teaching. So being able to kind of, you know, come back to that. And that's why, like, I tell students, like, don't create in, the, in, a, in a silo. That's why, you know, everything I do is, like, community first. The more, like, the better my posse, the better I will be. Yeah. And I think it's important, you know, to kind of note here, like, even though you said that your parents weren't, like, I don't want to say fully supportive, like they always thought you should still do what you do, but have a backup is that they allowed you to have the space to pursue that, to even see if this is something you really wanted to do. I think sometimes what can happen, I think particularly for for uh, black families, is that it ends up getting snuffed out like it's just a hobby. It's just a fun thing that you like to do, but you're expected to. And I, I think of my older brother a lot when this comes into play, because he is a super talented like artist painter welder sculptor i mean i i don't know where he like i'm not the artistic one in the family by a country mile he's the he is the true savant but it was never something that i think my parents encouraged they always wanted him to do something that was like more you know not necessarily learn a trade but like you know do something that's going to make some money and it it often makes me wonder, especially now that I've been talking to so many people through this podcast, like how would my brother's life have been different if he would have been pushed into a community or a tribe that would have allowed him to take this talent and really nurture it as opposed to having to keep it on the side while trying to do something else, you know? Um, so I think it's really important, yeah, that your parents kind of were like, yeah, well, they they gave you the space to do that, even though they did want, you know, 
they wanted you to do something, I think, maybe a bit more stable. Yeah. And I mean, and there were times where they were like questioning, like, you know, my intentions, because they were like, well, what are you shooting? Like, well, what what kind of designer do you want to be? Like, what kind like, what is this graphic design? What is this? Like, no, you know, right. Like, you know, they they were they only supported it because they saw how serious I was and they saw how I was a part of like these little fun exhibitions and I would go on these photo walks and I would, you know, I was serious, you know, like I was actually, you know, cause I was at a community college at the time and where they encouraged the students, you know, like to actually showcase their work. We would have like these fun um, student art shows. And so the school itself really helped to kind of cultivate like, a really beautiful, open, safe space for student, you know, artists. And so once they saw that, like, I was like really passionate and serious, they knew, okay, so we can't really define this anymore for her. Like we have to just kind of let her, let her explore. And like you said, like give her the space. And then, you know, continuing on to, you know, like, a, you know, like a four-year institution and then grad school, they were like, well, why grad school? Like, aren't you just ready to get married now? Like, you, you've you already done your art thing. Like, just go ahead and just, you know, like, <laughs> you got it out of your system. But, the, you know, but it was like, well, I'm the grad school, like, it's going to help kind of just nestle and harness all of it, right? And then I could teach afterwards and they're like, oh, okay, <laughs> yes, you could be a teacher. We get it, we get it. And then yeah. they were like, you know, and then, you know, and that's a whole other conversation, like my whole MICA journey. And as a grad student, you know, at that time, like the program has has expanded a lot, but yeah. it was just, it wasn't a lot of folks of color, like within my particular program at the time. And so even what I wanted to talk about and what I wanted to, to do for my thesis was just like, what? And, and, you know, and kind of proving it to my parents like they knew why I wanted to to document a whole bunch of high school kids you know like wanting to to reconnect with their African heritage and going to Ghana and but it was very like radical and it was like super so is it gonna are you gonna really do this like is this gonna be like a thesis like it and I'm like yes it 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 is you know and and of course you know they were very emotional at my opening and they were like, Oh my God, like you're, you're photographing all these kids and you're, you're, you really like invested time, like into just examining like their faces and their complexions. And, and that's really what it was about. Not everybody understood it, but I was like, well, maybe I just want, maybe I just want a wall where you can just look at black kids. Like what's wrong with that? You know, like, why do I have to go into some huge, you know, like intellectual narrative behind it, you know? Um, so it was, it was difficult, um, you know, and it's, it's hard to talk, to talk about, you know, but I mean, I, I still got the support and, you know, from faculty and, and, you know, I got a, a lot of really great feedback from, you know, this, you know, the other folks that were in my, in, in my cohort, but it was, it was a little touch and go for, for a second. And, and the thesis could have went in a variety of, of ways, but for me, it was just about the impact. And, and now like a decade later, those kids, they felt like they were being seen and wow. watching them now, 10 years later, they're in college, they're graduated from college and watching them, 
be advocates in their community and watching them. I'm like, that's what, that's why I did it. That's why I told the story that I did. Mm-hmm. I could have told it in a variety of ways. I was, you know, still learning about my place. I was still learning about how to, how, you know, design and photography could, could be one um, and how they could say something insanely powerful. And it's, it was really, it was really ambitious and it was radical and it was a lot more than I could do in just one spring semester, obviously. Um, but because like, I'm still in touch with the folks that I worked with at that time because I've seen, you know, those kids continue to grow and they're like adults now. It's just been awesome, like watching them, you know? Um, And so, but they, but my parents were really emotional at that show because they were like, oh my God, like she's, she's serious. Like she's not going back. And then, you know, when, and then I was, teach I was like a TA at Micah when I was in grad school and I really loved like developing relationships with the undergrad students while I was there at Micah and the freshmen and it was amazing like just kind of being in the different foundation courses and seeing all these like 17 18 year old kids like just go all out with their artwork. And it was just really beautiful to watch, especially like the kids of, of, of color. Um, and I'm like, Oh my God, like, you know, just watching them blossom and, and shine. And so, um, it was great because, you know, Micah, you know, they, they have like this, this pretty cool, you know, like, you know, art pedagogy class where you get a chance to kind of, you know, like practice, like writing up lesson plans and practice writing, teaching philosophies and, essentially like they're kind of prepping you for you know applying for an actual you know teaching position and it helped because I had maintained a lot of really great relationships with former faculty at my different you know previous institutions and then bam like as soon as they found out that I got my graduate degree it's not even a thing like oh yeah yeah, we'll, we'll keep you in mind it was like no we want you to come back and teach period you know, like, yeah, it was just, it was amazing. It was a blessing. It was, it was amazing. And I was able to go back to my community college where I went, where I met my, my posse and my favorite photo teacher, Tom Baralt. And I was able to go back, teach a couple photo classes, teach some design classes. And then, you know, I was able to connect with Bowie and, you know, I found out that they had like a adjunct position open and I was able to go back and teach there and then, you know, it was like the same with, with Micah, you know, I, I had kept in touch with my, the folks that I TA'd for, you know, like, they were like, come back and like, teach, like apply, you know, they're, 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 we have some sections open for, you know, an intro to like digital art class and we want you to come back. It, it's, it's called some something different. It's like photo and electronic media. It's not called that anymore, but it was like a class where you got a chance to kind of dive into, you know, well, this is how you use digital art and video and sound, you know, to tell like a really interesting narrative, but they were all freshmen and brand new to, to electronic, you know, platforms and mediums, but it was, it was amazing. And so it wasn't really difficult and hard for me to kind of go back and to just teach and to kind of like say, Hey, like, this is how you use this cool stuff. Now just go crazy. And, you know, I'm going to be like your biggest fan. Cause like, I love you. And that's really what teaching was for me, like period. And so 
at an HBCU level, I'm like a sister, I'm a mom, I'm an aunt, I'm an advisor, I'm a mentor, I'm like a student. And it's like, you have, because like the dynamic of the students and the students are dealing with a vast array of different, you know, situations, I play like my role as like an advocate is like maximized times 10 that I don't think would be the same if I was teaching at like a predominantly white institution or like at a MICA, you know? Um, and so that's why Bowie has been like, ugh, it's been crazy, good in a, in a good and a bad way, you know, because they really pour so much like out, like you, like you have to pour so much out as like, like I would almost call myself an advocate first before I would call myself an educator when it comes to those students, because like I spend lots of, of hours having pep talks, like a lot of you got this kind of conversations. And I, and I have to constantly remind them like, you know, look like you are a 19 year old black kid, like at an amazing institution. Like, do you understand what that means? And do you understand what your responsibility is? You cannot give up. Like I spend so much time having that kind of conversation. Um, and that I forget to have that conversation with myself, you know? Mm-hmm. And so- I know that feeling all too well. Sometimes <laughs> you can be so kind of into the work that way. I, I get it. Talk to me and, and talk to the audience as well about Knox Rocks. Like where where did that idea come from? What is it? Uh, just talk to us about that. Yeah. And so, and it's good that we're segueing into this because, um, you know, the pep talks that you give your students and the energy that you are constantly trying to kind of pour into like making sure that you keep students motivated. Like I needed to kind of, you know, turn the pages and do like a 360 because I was just getting like super burnt out and teaching for eight years at that point and trying to, you know, balance and to set boundaries for, you know, family life. You know, I was like a new mom and, um, you know, my son was born two pounds, 15 ounces. Um, I was pregnant while I was teaching at three different schools. Like I I hadn't been made full-time at Bowie yet. I was teaching at Prince George's Community College at Bowie State. And then I was also teaching at Micah. And then once I really got super pregnant and like I had to kind of, you know, let some things go. So it worked out that I ended up not going back to Micah that semester. And even at the community college where I was teaching, like I didn't have to go back and I was just at Bowie. Like that was it. So, you know, it was like a lot, a lot of hard work. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he ended up coming early and it was kind of scary and I had to just kind of like not go back for two years and it was difficult. And even after he was born, you know, I was like, oh my God, well, I need to work. I need to get back into the classroom. I need to support this, my, like my kid. And, you know, cause you know, like the expectations, you know, like a, a young black mom, we have all this, you know, oh, we, we got to keep going. We got to keep, keep moving forward. There was no time for, for healing. And, you know, you just got to keep, keep, keep moving, keep, keep pushing. And so I applied for a full-time position and I actually didn't get it. And they ended up going with someone else. And a lot of 
the relationships and a lot of, you know, the, the opportunities and stuff that I had cultivated with like a lot of students, it was kind of put on the back burner and, you know, some people were upset. They were like, well, what happened? Like we, we, we thought you were supposed to be here with us. And it's like, look, like, you know, I don't know what to tell you, this new faculty member, don't worry. Like you're going to get everything that, that you need. I just have to focus on my family right now. And it's probably a good thing that I didn't get that full-time position so that I could just kind of stay in focus. And the students were like, okay, fine, whatever. Like, you know, so it was difficult. So I kind of thought at that point that like teaching was like kind of done that I was, you know, because I didn't get that position. And so two years, I was at home with him for two years. And then that's when my new role as full-time mom, you know, like design photo freelancer kind of came into play. And so I was already dealing with the aftermath of like an early birth experience. And it was a very traumatic and non-traditional birthing experience that happens a lot to young black moms and we don't really talk about it and we don't really talk about like the support that they need after the fact of having a very traumatic birthing experience and what that can do to your spirit and your soul as as an artist and so I had to just kind of you know sit with that and like nest and everything kind of came to a standstill and so mothering was always a super super like crazy thing that I knew that I was going to have to learn. I mean, I had great examples all my life, but it's completely different when, when it's your turn, you know, and I had no idea like what to do, especially since he was so tiny and he was so small. So I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm not going to overthink it. I'm just going to like nest. I'm just going to raise my kid and, you know, I'm going to start taking pictures of him and I'm going to start, you know, documenting his every move. And I'm just going to let like the joy and the love, like inform and influence, like whatever happens, like when I'm developing these photos or when I'm, you know, you know, printing the image, I'm just going to, whatever happens, like, I'm just going to let like, like the art and the love, like just become one. I'm not going to overthink it, you know? And so I did that for two years I ended up applying to Bowie and I got the full-time position. And so that was really difficult for me because two years of just like endless, like mommy time. And then it ended up just being cut off because I had to just resume, you know, like teaching again. So I had to navigate back into that whole experience. So doing that for like five years straight, he went to daycare. I went back to teaching full time. And when I say full time, I mean like four or five classes, portfolio, senior thesis, internship. I mean, you know, all, all these conversations, all these pep docs, you know, issues with students, concerns, telling students they're, they're not going to graduate, telling students this, telling it's like all this, you know, like staying at school super late at night, coming home, not seeing my kid for like a whole day or for two, three days, sometimes not, not coming home at all and having to crash at my parents' house. It was taking a toll. And it was like, it was really hard. I had two miscarriages. And again, I don't, I don't really talk about it a lot because it's, it's hard, you know, but, and so I was like, something has to change. Like something, like what, something has to change. Like I cannot keep doing this. So 
in the middle of all of this, he was diagnosed as autistic when he was two years old. And so my husband and I, we were like, oh, okay. You know, yeah, there were, there were some things that like were kind of mentioned to us by like his, you know, care providers at his daycare that we should, you know, like look into and that we should, you know, like talk with like our infants and toddlers program, you know, like different things that they have set within the state to kind of help, you know, parents get what they need for, for their, their little ones. And they were like, yeah, you know, like he's, he's not very social. He doesn't, there's not a lot of eye contact. He's not really speaking, you know, you should really get him assessed. Um, because, you know, we don't necessarily think that he's at developmental level where, where he should, should be, or where, you know, where, where, you know, normally kids like should be like at this stage. And so we were like, all right, like, so we (laughs) we were like, okay, whatever. Like I, (laughs) We were like, let's just get him assessed. All these people are saying, you know, like what, what, what he's not doing and how like different and strange he he's acting. So let's see like what we can do to kind of, you know, solve this. Cause naturally, you know, as parents we're like, oh, like, well, he's broken, something's wrong. So let's see what we can do to get him fixed, you know? Um, because that's like the first reaction as parents that that you have about your kid, especially first time parents. There's the pressure of, oh, my kid is like not developed. He he's not, you know, um, catching up. And 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 we knew a lot of it had to do with you know because he was a preemie and and all of that. And so, um, so he was diagnosed um, as autistic when when he was two. But we weren't there. We didn't cry. We weren't upset. We weren't like, oh, my God, the, the sky is falling. We were like, yes, like, all right. Like we were ready. Um, um, and we were like, let, let's do this. Like, we love him. We're just happy he was alive to begin with because he was so tiny. So so that's why, uh, like, the book was just so much fun to do because we knew like that. <laughs> Like, there's just way too much joy and happiness that we need to share and that we need to talk about. And especially when it is centered around autism and, you know, neurodiversity, because there were so many, you know, quote unquote, negative or like horrible things that happened within this entire process. And so we knew that, um, that if we wanted to kind of tell this this story and, and this narrative and let design like kind of play a big part and let photography play a big part, like I knew that I just wanted it to be like a very like joyful um, narrative and, 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 and experience. And so, um, you know, being a photographer naturally and, and as a designer, you're like, okay, so then how am I going to use like my gifts? How am I going to use my, my creativity to kind of, you know, like tell my story and to kind of, I don't know, like to just speak to people, you know? Um, and so it just wasn't, it was, it wasn't hard. I mean, I I knew that, that the zine was just going to be a really fun experience. And my husband and myself, like we both we both write. He's, he's a much better writer than I am. And he's like super low, low key about it. And, and after, after my son was born, we, we spent a lot of time really trying to navigate. Okay. So like artistically, like, where do we want to be? 
not that like we have to make art about our kid, but it was like, what's happening in our life right now that's like super vulnerable and super personal that can influence um, and that can bring us back to certain artistic and creative feelings that we that we lost because we really didn't know how we were going to live and, and function with everything that was kind of hitting us from all different angles. And so because, you know, the both of us were so busy with like work and other expectations and trying to pay the bills and trying to, you know, make ends meet, the photo zine and collecting and archiving all of these really beautiful moments is really what like made like it's what really helped keep the balance and to kind of keep the glue together while we felt like certain things were falling apart, like in our lives. Um, And what I didn't realize was that the impact that it was going to have, because instantly, like when I chose to, to, to release this, this book and, and hooked up with like these amazing publishers, Homie House Press, you know, like these, these two femmes that are just like amazing individuals and that, really like amplify and respects stories that we don't often get a chance to hear. And I made sure that, you know, it was important that I, that I went with like independent publishers and folks that I saw that were advocating for different voices within the community. And, you know, I I was like, yeah, like this has to be super underground. It has to be super gritty. I'm dying to just make something with my design work. And I don't, and I was getting tired of client stuff. I was, you know, I just wanted to create something really raw and true. And, and I was like, I knew it was going to be a big risk about making it about my family, but I was like, man, I gotta do it. I gotta do it. And I just wasn't really prepared for the amount of like press and you know, like I just felt for the first time in a long time, like I felt like really heard and seen. And it was really important that the autism community especially um, felt like the book was like a really great representation of their community because that was like first and foremost for me. And it sounds like you also were even able to pull on some of those kind of previous experiences you had as a child with creating i mean you mentioned that it's it's a zine and you talked about how your mom would make these zines for you and now you've made this zine you know this well this photo zine about your son yeah yeah and it and it comes full and yeah it's like it's all coming full circle and i mean it's like i kind of let myself go and i let like you know just those little internal narratives that you feel like as you grow, you're like, well, you know, some people let a lot of that stuff go. Well, when I was a kid and, and, and this, like, but, but I'm not that same person. So much has changed, but it's, you know, so often you were, you will hear people, you know, express that, which, which is fine. But I, I like that certain aspects of, like you were saying of like my childhood and my, like these fun little vignettes that I felt, weren't really super like significant when I was a kid because they were just so like, you know, it it was the norm for me. So, but now because I've been through some stuff, I'm looking back at those little vignettes and I'm like, Oh my God, like they all, they were all preparing me for this. You know, they were preparing me for my role as a mom, my role as like an advocate, as like a maker, 
Um, and so the zine has been amazing because, you know, again, it, it's, it's helping to kind of break the stigma um, of what, you know, a black autistic kid in America or in the world like looks like, you know, we, we have, and this isn't just me spewing out these things. These are conversations that I've had with other autistic folks within the community, other um, neurodivergent families, whether like the parents are autistic and they have autistic kids or whether, you know, like they're neurotypical and, and they have kids that are autistic um, and that have different, you know, like, you know, brain differences or cognitive disabilities, you know, there's so many like names that people kind of nestle it into. But um, once they were like, thank you so much for, you know, telling this narrative and I've never seen anything like this, or, or I also feel like I don't get to see like, black kids depicted like this within this community is being joyful and is being happy. And, and I was like, wow, like, yes. Like, and that, that's, that's really what I wanted. And every single time, and it was a big risk because, and I even told my publishers, I was like, oh, well maybe we'll just do like a limited run of like 40 copies or something. They were like, no, like let, let's do a hundred. And, and I was like, well, like, are they going to sell? Who's going to want to read it? is it just going to be like some scrapbook? And they were like, nah, Jen, like, you know, folks are going to be like impacted by, by, by the story that, that you're willing to tell. And, and, you know, and like, you know, with, with my husband, you know, he had like this really fun blog that was called 3am theater. That was kind of like this, this comical, like really beautiful, um, like just narrative of like a black dad experiencing fatherhood for the first time and, you know, autism and like all these little interesting vignettes and he wasn't, you know, writing and we were busy and I wasn't shooting as much. And, you know, it was like, we kind of let some stuff go. And then the zine really gave us an opportunity to like bring all of that stuff. I was like, Kevin, I was like, I'm going to take what you had on your blog. I'm going to pop it into the zine write some new stuff I'm gonna write some some new like reflections and so like the zine itself has like poetry and essays and just you know reflections of like black life like black families black you know black like blended like mixed families because you know like I've you know black and Puerto Rican and kind of you know the stigmas and what autism means for a lot of those communities because often you know those those kinds of you know, diagnoses are just like, well, nah, like, you know, autism doesn't really exist or, you know, ADHD or, or certain, you know, like developmental differences, they don't exist. So some, if it even gets like properly diagnosed at all. Exactly. And sometimes yeah. you have families that are just like, well, no, like, I don't want to accept it. You know, I don't want to No, And it, and a lot of it is because, you know, like they know what their kids are going to be up against, but it's also an opportunity to say, hey, like, well, this is like, this is who my kid is. And like, let's embrace it and let's accept it. And let's just give him the support that he needs, period. And teaching him how to self-advocate. So that's been like a big part of the zine has become like this awesome, like tool to kind of encourage others to self-advocate for families to advocate for their kids, for their, their themselves. Um, and it's kind of, you know, breaking the hierarchies of 
you know, it's like, okay, well, I'm this designer and, you know, I'm going to design this for you and so that you can see how you're feeling. So it was really important that the zine, there were no pictures of me, like I'm on the front cover. That was like a big issue for me. And like, I had to kind of let go. And that was like my publisher's decision. And, you know, and I was, in the end, I was, I, I accepted it. And because it was like, we need to be able to see like a like a black brown baby and his black brown mom like on the cover period like and because that can be like really empowering but the zine is like just knocks um and you know just like showcasing his joy highlighting his his autistic joy you know helping to just dismantle and helping to to break the stigmas um and so you know it's just opened so many doors and it's just it's allowed for me to kind of, again, break away because, you know, like Antoinette, like I love her so much. Antoinette Carroll was, was in DC um, two weeks ago for DC design week and talked a lot about like, you know, um, you know, design allies and being an equitable designer and how listening to, you know, erased voices and unheard voices and in the community and making sure that you align yourself with folks from those lived experiences, like how important that is. And so the zine has allowed, it's like, it's creating so much dialogue so that I can step away. It's like the zine's done. I'm no longer in front of like my computer. Now I can step away from my machine and I can begin to have these really cool conversations now with families because I was willing to just kind of like get it out there and, you know, help to kind of start that conversation. And it's like, okay, so I'm not telling people how to have relationships with their kids, but I'm just, it's like, look, like, this is what I'm doing. This is how, like, this is how I'm able to like bond with my kid because I was willing to just kind of like make artwork that like, shares his identity and that celebrates it now between you know teaching and the other projects that you have why is it important for you to do this kind of work i mean this is work around blackness around neurodiversity around you know even you know hbcu curriculum and stuff like that why is it important for you to do it in kind of this this tech and design space yeah you know and it's just um in terms of like the design space and tech, I, it's making sure that people can see that they can use all different types of mediums to tell their narratives, to tell their stories, even like the art making experience that I encourage a lot of students to do. And even like Knox, it's like, all right, so like, I'll give him like little fun tasks and challenges where maybe like one day we'll play with like digital design and we'll get out like the iPad and like play with like Apple pencil and we'll, we'll come up with like some really cool like doodles. And then we'll do like this funky little animated GIF that kind of like amplifies like, oh, okay, well this is how like an autistic kid is like choosing to create. So it's like using like fun little mediums that are accessible to him to just express like his own artistic sensibilities. Cause I think that that's really important because I was like, well, I could keep creating this artwork all day. That's like very from me, 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 but I want for people to be able to show this is what happens when like 
him and I can create together and like what that would look like. And, you know, and I was able to do some really fun collaborations with, with Carlos Estrada from AIGA Detroit. And so he's been amazing, like a huge supporter of just like my whole like mommy experience and neurodiversity in general. Um, And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about, yeah, like, so what does that look like? What is like, you know, design mom and design baby? Like what can, what can kind of, you know, transpire if you create together? Like, you know, what are some really beautiful things can, that can just be expressed when you kind of make room for that? And then, you know, like, I can't force students to just say, well, because you're a graphic designer, you have to just create in this one little way and using these particular mediums. Um, And because they want to be able to like incorporate film and incorporate motion graphics to tell like a narrative. Um, And for me, it's like, okay, so now that you have these tools, where are some ways and where are some spaces and where are some like what are some innovative ways where you can just kind of like run with that and where you can just kind of like express it as it relates to like your own personal experience like are you going to use projection are you going to like project on your body are you going to project you know like on a building are you going to be able to like you know play with sound design and have you know like I mean like it's so great that you were talking to Addie because I first met her at Afrotectopia and like NYU's ITP program. And that was where I got a chance to see so many brown and black kids like using sound design and like amplifying and having like pieces of of their fabrics vibrate and sound amplifying and, you know, just using all these really interesting, intricate tech um, based like lived like vibration experiences. It's so hard to explain, but to kind of like, but literally like there was this one particular artist and she used her whole body as like this sound machine. Yeah. And so, and I hope that, (laughs) I don't know how much you got a chance to talk about Afrotectopia, but like that first year it was crazy because there were so many students that were just like, here's like my experiment with sound. And, and I want for you to hear like, you know, um, I want for you to hear how like my body is going to like amplify sound in a very specific way, but, you know, just using like a variety of different tech tools. And so, and I, and, you know, and a lot of those dynamics can be applied to um, kids who have sensory based interests, you know, it's like, okay, so, you know, what are some, you know, like autistic kids, you know, have, you know, issues with like sound senses, sound sensitivities, or they, or sometimes being in a room that's like with like all these different light flashes can sometimes be an issue. So what are some ways that like tech can kind of help to, to kind of allow for them to not feel like as like threatened by like all these crazy distractions that are around them. And so I, so I want to definitely begin to have those kinds of conversations where you know, we can talk a little bit about how, like, design and tech can continue to kind of, you know, empower, like, folks who, like, society is, like, a threat to them, and they feel like, like, the way that they engage with tech and and art, and when they merge, it's, like, not necessarily for them, you know, not necessarily, like, made for them, or it's, or, 
or or they don't have enough say in what kind of like experiences that 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 they want to be able to like be a part of like even with like stimming and like dancing and like movement like I'm collaborating now with Mariah Person who is getting ready to finish up a fellowship program at the Union Contemporary of Art in Omaha and so seeing how like movement and tech and projection and can how all that can kind of like come in into one where you know and I don't know like it's just it's really just about like letting these neurodiverse folks like just be period like and exist you know and a lot of it has to do with like the really cool quirks that that they have and a lot of it is like sound based and a lot of it is like movement based and as long as they just have the space where they can just kind of like you know be encouraged to move the way that they want to experience sound and to, to experience light in the way that they want. Like, what would that look like? Because like, you know, they're just kind of like in the society that's like saying, well, you have to adapt to this particular space and how it works. And that's it. You know, we're not going to like build these, like these really interesting spaces where you can just kind of like be and experience like movement the way that you want. Um, and so I'm always like having those, like having those those types of conversations with different artists is just like really important to me because Knox he's he's only six and so what kind of support is he gonna have when he's you know like a full-on adult and at you know whatever he chooses you know to get into you know like what are some of those artistic and and design adaptations that are gonna be like available for him so that he can like feel okay about being himself like in in public you know um so i'm always curious to see what different artists what they're trying to to do to address like accessibility accommodations um and you know even like and i spend a lot of time defining that for my students too it's just like all right like you have these these projects but are they gonna work are they are they gonna work with like your time are they going to work with like your artistic sensibilities like maybe like choosing to create artwork in this different way can say the same type of thing versus like what i'm trying to force you or make you do what does success look like for you now um so (laughs) success for me really just comes from collaborating um you know if i'm gonna continue like the the whole narrative of like photo and design and kind of amplifying like these amplifying and advocating for you know different voices especially those who have um brain differences and who are you know from neurodivergent communities um the to me the success is going to be really defined by what ways am I able to collaborate and to create with them and alongside them that's really how I'm going to value like my success um and then also making sure that other um like artists of color especially women um like how am I aligning myself with like different opportunities to make sure that, you know, that we're seen and that, that we're visible. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited that, you know, and again, it's just one zine 
and then I have, you know, like screen prints and I have um, fun little projects that I'm constantly working on where I'm making actual practical like stickers and um, messages that are just like empowering that autistic folks don't really see a lot of, you know, um, even, you know, conversations of like, oh, well, you know, if your kid lines up his toys in a very specific way, then that's not diversifying his play. So you need to like make him play differently because he's, he's not going to be, you know, like an innovator and he's not going to be able to like, you know, think of new ways when in reality, it's the complete, complete, complete opposite because Knox chooses to play in a very specific way. Um, that kind of opens up a lot of opportunities because he is able to like imagine um, a variety of like different styles, you know, when he's building like, and he's engineering like all these different dynamics with like his blocks. Yes. He kind of goes about it the same way, but he's always changing. Like he's using the same kinds of tools, but he's changing and he's consistently like imagining like, a different kind of, of way to do things. But if I'm saying, well, you always play with your blocks and you're lining them up in a very specific way. Well, how am I allowing for him to just, you know, play like the way that, that he wants. And so, um, I spend a lot of time, you know, just trying to kind of like have a lot of conversations and let the design be influenced by like those particular conversations. And then, you know, letting the zine help, to allow for parents to feel more comfortable wanting to engage in those those kinds of conversations because a lot of the focus is is well like I'm a parent I don't have the support that I need I don't have the resources and so it's like well you know how about like we get together how about like you know we work on some sort of really cool, like empowering art activity where we get a chance to kind of talk about like the issues that, you know, are affecting like our communities and like what we can do to change that. And so success has been like planning, like fun zine workshops with different, you know, autistic based organizations, um, allowing for them to like know that they have to focus on the parents to kind of plan these activities and not so much like, oh, well, we're kind of, you know, like the organization and we need to like decide like what kind of workshops. It's like that you you just need to continue to have these conversations with like the parents and with the actual autistic kids to see like what they want. Um, And so Autism Society of Baltimore does a really amazing job of making sure that these families have like these really great Um, spaces where they can just kind of you know exist without masking and without necessarily feeling like they have to kind of change so again just like breaking those those hierarchies and just I've just been having a lot of fun like if I had it my way like I would just be working with like other autistic artists and creatives all day to just come up with like strategies and methodologies and you know just to kind of help to define more questions and and then just creating the type of like messaging and the languages and publications that we don't really get a chance to see a lot because there there just tends to be a lot more focus on you know researching the risk factors so that we can prevent our kids from being autistic so that 
when they get into adulthood, they're no longer autistic, but they can continue to just mask in public and be completely normal. Like that's where a lot of the research is, is focused on right now. You know, a lot of the autistic artists that I end up running into are like maybe late diagnosed um, or they're just coming to terms with their diagnosis and they're like, okay, so now, now I'm here, I'm ready. I have like my posse and I have like, like my group of people, but now I'm, I'm faced with all of this lack of support and clinicians and doctors and behavioral therapists telling me, well, this is like how I should live my life and this is what I should do. But, but this is who I am. Like, just support me with, with what I need, you know, period, just to kind of exist and, and to, and to, to be myself. So we're coming up on the, not only just the end of a year, but the end of a decade. (laughs) When you look at the next five years, when you look at 2025, which sounds super far away, what, what (laughs) do you, I know, what, what do you want to be working on? Like, what's, what do you see in the future? Um, so a few things that are, that are coming up. Um, so I've been really I definitely more more publications, more zines, um, and more opportunities to just kind of speak about like neurodiversity um, in academia, and then also in family life, especially in communities of color. So I definitely see myself continuing to have those conversations because I keep getting asked, and then I keep getting you know amazing opportunities to kind of share and to kind of have those conversations. Um, and then, um, in, in November, actually, like the zine is going to be part of an exhibition at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. So yeah, it's so exciting. So at the Betty Boyd, um, Detry Library and the Research Center, they have so many amazing archived, um, narratives, like photo zines, publications, all different types of, of books, um, just from women of color, um, specifically like in the DMV, because the museum does such an amazing job of like highlighting like the local artists. Um, and so the the zine is is permanently archived at that library, but then they're also going to be doing an exhibition where they're going to be like just highlighting some of like the books. So I'll be a part of that exhibition along with whole bunch of other women and some I'm so excited so it's just more opportunities like that not necessarily letting myself say well okay like that one book was enough it's like no like now (laughs) it's now like I just have to keep going because again like you know and that's why you know the the theme you know had I been at the Black and Design Conference, I would have been so ready. I would have been like, look, this is what I'm doing to secure these Black futures. (laughs) It's like, you know, my son, it's like, essentially, the work will will come into play, helping, uh, allowing for like, these young folk, these young students, these young kids. It's like, what opportunities and what, or just not even opportunities, but like, what type of experiences are we providing for them so that they can feel like they're worth something to feel like they're seen to feel like they're important and so a lot of like the work that I'm hoping to continue for the next five years is going to be talking about that amplifying it so I felt like I've done like the family narrative 
And then the next narrative is going to be um, just continuing to talk to more families, you know, other moms, other parents um, that I've created relationships with. Cause like I spend so much time like stalking and like finding like who are the other autistic families in my community? I want to know who they are. I want to get to know them. I want to meet them. You know, how can I continue to kind of tell their stories as long as they're comfortable and as long as I have the consent to do that? Still using photography and design, you know, ultimately, like I can see like some sort of press coming out of this where I have to figure out like what this is going to be called and how I'm going to harness this. Um, so I can see it being like some sort of press where whether I'm like publishing um, other, you know, folks of color or I'm just continuing to just kind of, you know, publish like my own, you know, narratives like under like my own kind of like name. But um, there's something also very powerful about like not just having the book on Amazon. It's like for me, it's like I want to invest time in book fairs and like book festivals zine fests because sitting there at a table it's it's a lot of work and you you're literally like having so many conversations that day and you have all your stuff at this table and you're some people are like well like it's so hard because you're essentially selling yourself but it's like for me it's like it's about the conversation and getting them to kind of see the hard work that you've put into like all these these little fun like design you know, like vignettes that you've been making and you get the opportunity to meet them in person. They get a chance to meet you. They get a chance to, to like hear your story, hear your narrative. And so there's something really beautiful about creating and making like your own content and distributing it on your own terms. Like, I just, I love that. So I want to do, do more of that because there's just so much power behind it so just more community-based workshops speaking you know like I'm I'm right now like I'm looking for any kind of like opportunity to just kind of talk about what I do with my students like I'll be at the ACAD symposium at Otis College of Art and Design in in LA in a few weeks talking a little bit about like you know what I like the types of projects that I'm doing with my students who are autistic and how that work is important to be able to highlight and to show and we don't often get a chance to see that kind of work <laughs> like presented at a lot of these educator conferences so yeah so just more of that and trust me it's gonna fly by because publishing editing narrowing down all these concepts it takes like two years wow. you know and then deciding like you know design wise like how you're actually going to present it how you're going to package it how you're going to create it what is everything that's going to go whether like I'm making stuff by hand whether I'm outsourcing like and working with different printmakers like that I'm telling you like in five years it's going to fly and then like you know Knox you know he's going to be like in in middle school you know, and it's just, that's going to start like a whole other chapter. So it's going to fly by. Yeah. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and your work and everything online? The best place 
there's a few places. So there's jenwhitejohnson.com, which is my main website where folks can like, you know, pick up a copy of the zine, pick up copies of like posters that Knox and Ice Cream printed, <laughs> and then pick up like, you know, fun swag that really talks a lot about the joy and the soul of neurodiversity and where they can just, you know, read a little bit more about like my past and the reason why I'm doing this. And they can see like fun projects that I'm working on with my students. And then, you know, Instagram, you know, like social media, like that's my jam, especially since it's like super like, you know, indie and we can curate curate it the way that we want. And I follow a lot of like zinesters and we follow each other back and we have all these fun conversations about like artwork and how we want to continue to kind of spread the love. So I'm on Instagram at JT Knox Rocks. So I'm always be my homie. I'm always telling people like that I want to continue like engaging with them. Um and I have found so many other autistic creatives and Twitter, like Twitter's my jam too also at JT Knox rocks. And I've met so many self advocates as you know, who are part of that community. Um, you know, I just, it's just like a great space because a lot of folks, you know, choose like different social media outlets to kind of like create their own movements. And so I see certain platforms as being like super empowering for, you know, folks who feel like they would be ignored otherwise. So Yeah. I'm big on the social medias. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Jennifer White Johnson. Wow. There's so much. I mean, first, I just want to thank you, of course, for for coming on the show and for sharing your story and and sharing your work. I, I almost feel like there's there's three big things that people can take away from this conversation. I think first is that there is a lot of heart and soul and diversity that is at HBCUs that really needs to be paid attention to. Um, I think secondly, that it's important for designers to really look at how they can use their talents uh, in order to help out for other causes. And I think also third, and you know, you sort of, I feel like this has been a thread throughout all of this is how you've been able to use uh, your vulnerability in different stages in your life as kind of an act of, of a, creation in a way. And so I hope that people that are listening to this can can pick up on that and will follow your work and certainly will see what else you have to come in the future. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thoughts of love are in and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Jennifer White Johnson and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Jennifer and her work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash revision path. And of course, thanks to both Facebook design and abstract for sponsoring this episode. Facebook design, of course, is a proud sponsor of revision path. And if you want to learn more about how the Facebook design community is designing for human needs at unprecedented scale, then please visit facebook.design. This episode is also brought to you by abstract design workflow management for modern design teams. Spend less time searching for design files and tracking down feedback, and spend more time focusing on innovation and collaboration. Like Glitch but for designers, Abstract is your team's version-controlled source of truth for design work. 
With Abstract, you can version sketch design files, present work, request reviews, collect feedback, and give developers direct access to all specs all from one place. Sign your team up for a free 14-day trial today by heading over to www.abstract.com. Revision Path is a Glitch Media Network podcast and is produced by Maurice Cherry and edited by Brittany Brown. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. We're also powered by Simplecast, the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Make sure you check the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. And if you like this episode, then please let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Of course, we are in the middle of the holiday season. Thanksgiving is this week. Christmas will be right around the corner. And one of the best ways that you can really help support Revision Path is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Takes about a minute or so to do. It really helps spread the word about Revision Path everywhere. You can also find us on Spotify, we're on Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Just search for Revision Path. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.